0: Uh, I probably should say this more often, but uh, uh, I always invite you to bring your Bibles with you to church. Church is a good place to bring one if, you, if you've ever thought about it. And uh, it's, um, it's also a, a, a good opportunity to, to bring a notebook or a notepad. One of the things that I hope is true of most every time that I preach is that you're going to hear something or learn something that maybe you have never heard or learned before. That's not always the case. I realize I'm serving a very learned congregation, but uh, that's my hope every week as I'm sort of preparing the message is that maybe there's something in the message that you haven't heard or that you did not know before. Speaking of uh, what you know and what you don't know, I learned a long time ago that a peanut is not really a nut. It's a legume, right? Right? Uh, And and I learned a long time ago that a tomato is really not a vegetable. It's a fruit. But what I did not know until this week as I began to prepare the sermon for today is that a fig is not a fruit. Uh, I mean, a fig grows on trees. It's very sweet because it's got a lot of sugar in it. It's, it's full of protein, but a fig is not a fruit, it's actually a flower. Did you know that if you cut a fig open, you will see uh, several tiny blossoms that, that are, are, have grown inward, in, are in, inward inside the skin of that uh, fig? And did you know that even though you can see on some level those tiny blossoms that have grown inward, what you cannot see, but what is almost always there, is uh, the mummy of a wasp. A fig wasp. You realize that? Alright, so here's what happens. It's a flower, but the flower blossoms grow inward instead of growing outward. And what that means is, is that it this flower... Uh, can't be pollinated in the way that most other flowers are pollinated. So you don't have this idea of this pollinating insect landing on the fig, taking some pollen and beginning to spread it to other plants along the way. Because this flower actually grows inward inside the pig, there is a fig wasp. And the fig wasp is this really, really tiny little wasp And it tunnels its way inside the fig and it lays eggs inside the fig. Those eggs hatch and those little hatched fig uh, wasps begin to dig their way out of the fig. And they are small enough that it doesn't hurt the fig at all. And they are able to leave the fig but the mother wasp that tunneled into the fig loses her wings in the process of tunneling into the fig, and unfortunately, she doesn't make it out. So, when you're eating and enjoying that next fig, (laughs) take great comfort in knowing that you're eating a flower and a dead fig wasp. I'm guessing some of you have had your last fig (laughs) and won't be eating anymore. Well, today's story, there are in the Gospel of Luke, and we're continuing through this journey of Luke's Gospel, uh, there are three different stories, but they're all related, and they're brought together by Jesus to make a point. And at the center of these three stories is Jesus. And in maybe a cheesy sermon illustration, but in the same way that a fig wasp loses her life so that others might live, that's the kind of Savior that we have. A Savior Christ who was willing to give up His life so that you and I might have life. Well, the first story in this three related but different stories that Jesus tells here is about a group of Galileans who lost their lives by Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate mingled their blood together with the sacrifices that they were making. Now, this story is not uh, found anywhere else in the New Testament, this particular incident. And in fact, there are no historians of that particular time, no historical documents that record this specific incident. And so we don't know whether or not it happened or not. But what we do know that this is certainly in line with the kind of person that Pontius Pilate was. When he was appointed a ruler, he was appointed during a politically and religiously charged time. And he was appointed to a very politically and religious-charged area of Judea. And one of the first things that Pontius Pilate did that is recorded in historical documents is that he decided to put up his imperial symbol of his leadership all over the holy city of Jerusalem. And this was unlike any other ruler before him. Every other ruler had decided to honor the Jewish people's uh, understanding of the commandment that there shall be no graven images. And so all of those other leaders before Pontius Pilate didn't do something like this. But, But when Pontius Pilate took over, he put the imperial eagle up all over the city of Jerusalem, and this was a great offense to the Jewish people. And they began to publicly demonstrate against Pontius Pilate. And things got kind of heated and kind of uh, uh, frightening. And so, uh, to try to hold the peace down, Pontius Pilate did ultimately remove the imperial eagle from the city of Jerusalem. But there's story after story and recorded incident after incident about how Pontius Pilate was encountering all sorts of rebellions that were taking place in and around Jerusalem. And and many of them were regarding the unfair taxes that the Jewish people were having imposed on them. And and oftentimes Pontius Pilate responded to those rebellions with heavy-handed violence. And so the story that is told or asked that Jesus is asked about in our Gospel lesson this morning, while there's no direct uh, illustration of that anywhere else, recorded anywhere else, it certainly seems in line with the kind of person that Pontius Pilate was. He was prone to violence. He was prone to trying to keep people down and he would use violence to do it. And so, what you have here... Is one such instance. And the people have come to Jesus, and what they want to know is that these Galileans who had their blood mixed with the sacrifices that they were offering, why did that happen? Was it Pilate's fault? Or more importantly, they thought, is it because the Galileans themselves had done something or said something or didn't do something or didn't say something and they suffered this death because of their sinfulness? And Jesus responds to the question by saying, these Galileans, they were no more sinful than anyone else. And he says, so it's not their fault, but the real question that you should be asking yourself is not "Is whose fault was it or why did this happen. The real question that you should be answering and that we should be answering is will you be ready to meet your Maker? It doesn't matter if the... um, If you're to blame or they're to blame, the question is, when your time comes, when you draw your last breath, regardless of the circumstances, will you be ready to meet God? Uh, Then he tells this other story. It takes it a step further. It's another story about this Tower of Siloam. And apparently, it just all of a sudden falls And when it falls, it kills 18 people who just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And so Jesus asks again, do we think that these 18 people were somehow uh, greater sinners or or, 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 or more of an affront to God than, than anybody else? Is that why the tower fell on them and killed them that day? And Jesus once again drives home the point, the main question that this event ought to have us asking is will we be ready when we die to meet God? Well, then he goes on to, in the midst of talking about how life is so unpredictable, he moves into a parable. And this parable is meant to be both a warning, and it's also meant to be a word of hope. In this parable, we have a master or a landowner who is quite upset because there's a tree in the garden that is not bearing fruit. It's been three years, and it's never once borne a single fig. And I don't know how much you know about this part of the world, but there's not a lot of fertile ground to be found anywhere. And so the last thing that you want is what little bit of fertile ground that you've been able to find to have trees that are taking up that fertile ground that aren't producing the fruit that they were created to produce. And so the master, the owner, says, I want you to cut that tree down because it is not doing what it was created to do but then we have a gardener and the gardener pleads with the master or pleads with the landowner and says Oh, please, 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 don't cut down the tree. Don't have me cut down the tree. I tell you what, just give me one more year. Just one more year. And I'm willing to get dirty and grimy and gritty. And I'm willing to take manure on my hands. And I'm willing to get down on my hands and knees. And I'm willing to fertilize that ground. I'm willing to do whatever it takes in order for that tree to do what it was created to do. Just please, please, please don't give up on this tree. And we serve a Savior who views us in the same way even when we are not bearing the fruit that we were meant to bear, even when we don't do the things that we were created to do, we have a Savior who acts in many ways like that fig wasp, is willing to give up His life so that we can be what we were created to be and experience what we were created to experience. That's the kind of Savior that we have. Now, I don't know about you, but when I grew up hearing this text preached on and taught on, I was always told that there's, it's an obvious interpretation. That the master or the owner of the vineyard is God. And that the gardener is Jesus. And that the fig tree is you and me. And I have no problem with that interpretation. I think it's theologically and biblically sound to arrive at that conclusion. But this morning, I'd like for us to consider ourselves as each of the participants in this story. As the master, as the gardener, and as the fig tree. And so I wonder, are there any of us here this morning that have wanted to give up on someone or something too soon? Maybe it's that stock you invested in and you sold it only to find out that a week later it went through the roof. Maybe it's a marriage maybe it's a sermon, <laughs> you gave up on it and you went to sleep during the middle of it. I, You know, is there anything in your life, is there anyone in your life that you were tempted to give up on too soon? I'd like to make a caveat here because what I don't want you to hear is if if you're in an abusive relationship, if if you are in a toxic situation, I am not suggesting on any level that it is God's desire or intention for you to hang in uh, and not give up on that toxic or abusive relationship. If if that describes anyone here this morning, then I would encourage you to talk to one of your clergy or to talk to one of a, a professional counselor of some kind Uh, it may very well be time for you to get out of that relationship or that situation. But there are a lot of situations in our lives that are not as toxic, not as abusive, that we've been tempted to give up on like the master in the story. And I'm just inviting us to think about Is there an area in your life that you've been tempted to give up on that God may want you to just hang with a little bit longer? In the same way, we have this gardener in the story. And Is there any one of us here that has been pleading when everybody else is saying, get rid of it, do away with it, walk away from it? Have you ever been in a situation where you were just pleading for a little more time? I promise I'll do whatever it takes. I will get grimy. I will get gritty. I will get dirty. I'll get manure on my hands. I'll get down around the base of that tree or that situation or that person. And I will do everything that I can to help that person or that situation become what God intended it to be. The world needs people. Who don't want to give up easily. Who are willing to get their hands dirty to fertilize something that God desires to blossom into life. I want to suggest to you that it's really hard to do this in our world today because we want it now. I get so mad when Amazon two-day shipping with Prime doesn't get there in two days. It's happened. You just go ballistic. I paid that $119. I expected my stuff to be here in two days. Uh, I get so mad when I go to Walmart and there's 24 lanes there, but there's only three of them that are open. And they have that sign that says, we're happy to open another lane when there are more than three people in the line. I'm like, well, why don't you do it? We want what we want and we want it right now. We have zero patience. We're becoming more and more impatient as a society and as a world. And so, uh, and, and, and what seems so important right now, what's the news story of the day, will be replaced by something else five minutes from now or an hour from now. And, and we lose sight of what's happened in the days or weeks before that because we're consumed in the now. It's becoming harder and harder to be patient with people and with situations. It's it's becoming harder and harder for us to be willing to get gritty and grimy and dirty and, and, and willing to fertilize and help something, a situation or a person, grow into that which God desired for it to be. And then in what ways are we like the fig tree? In what ways are we not bearing the fruit that God desires for us to bear? In what ways are we not doing the things that God created us to do? And how much of that is because someone gave up on us Or because someone wasn't willing to come alongside us and to help us be fruitful and fertile to do what God desires for us to do. Jesus' parable ends unresolved. We have no idea what happened to that tree. We have no idea if it was able to bear fruit or not. But I just wonder, would we be willing to make the time, to take the time, to pour into the life of someone or something else? Because we have a Savior that's willing to do that even when we're not the people that God created us to be and we're not doing the things that God created us to do, we have a Savior who's willing to get gritty and grimy and dirty. That's willing to give up His life so that we would have life.